Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Love in the Multiverse podcast. I'm Kelly, and I'm very honored to have a very special guest today, uh, my cousin Chuck Tatham, who is a prolific sitcom writer known for... (laughs) Welcome, welcome. Um, Modern Family, How I Met Your Mother, Arrested Development, Full House, among many, many other shows. Uh, Recently produced his first documentary about Harold Ballard, the infamous... Toronto Maple Leafs owner for I think three three decades he was in charge there. He was uh yeah he got he rested control in seventy one and then died in ninety so uh, it was uh, uh, it was a nice run you know running the team from a penitentiary uh, <laughs> yeah it was fun being a documentary about Harold Ballard a lot yeah. Of fun. yeah um and I mean you've done so many other things you worked on theater and you've done essays and punch-ups i know uncredited punch-ups on feature scripts as well yep yeah yeah um as part of uh i came to la from canada in 90 it was actually 91 i think i maybe i was waiting for ballard to die (laughs) (laughs) but i came in 91 and my writing partner was my brother jamie your cousin and uh since that time um I've gotten into a group of guys that do punch up. So when they said Alvin of the Chipmunks movie is out or is being produced or the Shrek three is being produced. And for people who might not be familiar with the punch up is literally going in and inserting jokes. But sometimes there, if there's something fundamentally wrong, like eh, we just need you to come in and do jokes and you read the script and go, there's no story. Like, this is, it's like the, the old saying is like, we're putting ornaments on a dead Christmas tree, you know, so uh, I'm not going to suggest that any of the movies I worked on were dead Christmas trees, Kelly. Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> but uh, I worked on a movie called Wild Hogs way back when. Um, and then other things like John Kerry's presidential campaign. You know, I wrote jokes for his uh, 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 speeches and things, and uh, which is interesting. Um, I think history will show that the stuff I wrote was so effective that he, uh, he lost miserably, but, um, <laughs> but mostly, uh, to your point, uh, sitcoms, sitcoms, and more sitcom. Mm-hmm. And currently absolutely nothing because pencils down. Absolutely nothing. I was, I was, uh, hired to write on the reboot of night court, the old NBC, uh, hit, uh, and John Larroquette is starring in it. And it's a new configuration. It's very exciting. And I went out to L.A. and we worked for two weeks and went on strike. So there you go. We shot one episode. It's very exciting. I want to say this episode is so good it might last the whole strike. You know, just watch that one. And, <laughs> and uh, But uh, now when people say, can you edit this, or there's actually been a couple of people reached out to me to do things. It's pencils down. I will not write anything. I will not. Uh, I had actually a, a, a kind of a, the idea is to turn the Harold Bauer documentary into a scripted series for like HBO Crave in, in Canada. And that wasn't a particularly easy meeting to put together, uh, but we put it together, but it was scheduled for last Friday. So I said, nope, I'm a, I'm a member of the Writers Guild uh, and I will not do that. So uh, it is, it's, I got to say, in all honesty, it's the fantastic reason to do absolutely no work because <laughs> this is a this is completely guilt free. 
you know when you're supposed to be writing, but you're like watching TV or taking a nap or whatever. Ah, I'm a lousy writer. I'm going to burn in hell. No, it's like, no, uh, my hands are tied. I have no option but to eat donuts and stare at a wall. So, <laughs> and I'm nailing it. Yeah, that's a real gift, actually, especially, you know, TV writers are, are famously, like, the hours are crazy when you're working. You don't have a life. No, no, no. So, so I mean, literally today I was like, can I just sit here and do nothing for a while? Because I'd done my three hours in the in Brooklyn picketing. And it was it was very liberating to say yes. You 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 are not allowed to write anything now. The fact of the matter is, I I have to believe some writers are quietly writing. They're not submitting. But if you wanted to use this time to work on your your novel or your great movie or whatever, I I certainly don't begrudge that. Um, but actively participating in the business is is a is a no no right now. Yeah. So you're not even talking with Canadian. Productions. That's all. No, the, 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 uh, uh, one of the trades had an article about American uh, Canadian writers living in the States. And because they knew that, that there, there might be some Canadian companies saying, well, you're in the States and you work for Americans, but you are Canadian, so maybe during the strike we could appeal to you to do something. And the Writers Guild of Canada said, no, we sympathize completely with the Writers Guild of America. Uh, that's, that's taboo. You should not be coming up here and doing that. So I'm not, I'm not doing that either. Yeah. And and today you were striking a show that's currently in production because I know some shows have shut down voluntarily, but others are carrying through just without writers on set. Others are carrying through. I think for the most part, for the most part, I think they're dramas. I think dramas might and features go through less on site script revision than comedies. You know, when we're shooting a sitcom or a multicam comedy, we're just we're constantly changing dialogue. You're just running in jokes and adjusting jokes. I think some companies have scripts that were completed before the strike and they've said, well, we'll shoot it without the writer because it's, it, it doesn't need ongoing revision. The other thing that happens, I think more to the point is even if it does need and warrant a revision, the companies are like, so it's kind of crappy, but we're going to shoot it anyway. Like yeah, we're not going to have the writer making it better. And I think sometimes, and I say this with love, some people at studios and networks sometimes have limited respect for what we do. So when we say, how do you shoot this thing in our absence? They say, watch, you know, the sun doesn't shine out of your ass. We can do this without you. So, so I think that's what's happening. We have, we have sympathy, uh, sympathy from the Teamsters. We have sympathy from other unions. But it's tricky because if you're not on strike, if you're, in, if you're in the Screen Actors Guild and you're not on strike, you can theoretically uh, uh, sympathize with the Writers Guild, but you're in breach of contract if you don't go to work. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, there's a lot of people being put into a lot of – I had to walk through some big, unhappy-looking Teamsters today to get to the picket line. And I know they would never beat up a little nerd writer like me, but, but you know, they, they, they're in a union, and for the most part they sympathize with us, and we sympathize with them but they're not on strike. So some of the teamsters go to work and there's nothing we can do about it. So we, we blow whistles and bang tambourines and do chants. And, and when the trucks are trying to come on, we block their way and stuff like that. But, but we're there. I think Kelly, we're there for a lot of reasons. One being, we want the world to know that what's going on is wrong and you can't really strike from a, you know, from your sofa, you got to let the world know what's going on. So that's, that's why we're out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, 
it's tough, I'm sure, for the Teamsters. I'm sure everyone wants to support because I think with the exception of the studio bosses, everyone else seems to understand that writers are pivotal to storytelling, to filmmaking. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah, yeah, I think, and 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 I know many, many, many executives who worship writers, and we're, they're just doing what they got to do, and we're doing what we got to do. But, but uh, accomplished. Oh, we lost you. There she is. Hello. Hey. We okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I lost you around um, studio executives doing what they had to do, doing what they have to oh, do. Oh, sorry, sorry. Hey, everybody, we're back in the podcast. We had a little glitch there. Um, what the hell was I talking about? Uh, is it my tendency to have transient ischemic attacks? Because I'm having one right now. Uh, we'll get back to it. Yeah, well, what I was thinking was just, and I was wondering, too, with the writers, because I was thinking, you know, Teamsters, they don't want to be in breach of contract, but a lot of people have bills to pay, you know? And I'm wondering, with with especially with younger writers, but also with, with writers of any age, because the industry's been in such a state of flux, are people on the picket line stressing about paying their bills? They're, they're definitely stressing about paying their bills, and they're making a massive sacrifice. And it's not a particularly big sacrifice for old writers like me. Old writers like me are out there to help them, just the same way the old writers were out 10, 15, 20 years ago to help me. I know I'm meeting people on – I met a woman on the line yesterday or on Friday. Um, I think she moved out like six weeks ago to, to New York to work on a, a late night show and then the job dried up. So she's got rent and groceries and everything else. Um, and nothing to fall back on, nothing to fall back on. The residual thing is a crucial component of all we're discussing. If you sell a painting for a hundred dollars, you get a hundred dollars you, you, and that's it. However, if you write a TV show for a hundred dollars, you get a residual, the more people look at it. And some people would say, well, wait a second, does that make sense? Cause people, People don't get money every time they look at a painting unless they do in a museum, right? So what we're saying is our, our careers aren't particularly long. You know, uh, there's, there's a fairly rampant ageism, and I, and I, I was aware of this. Uh, I was aware of this before I turned into an old guy, but it's fairly rampant ageism. You might, you might get a 15- or 20-year career. You know, if you're a dentist, bless you, you might have a 49-year career, but not a writer. So that's why the residuals help. Once your career is over, you'll get these royalties and residual checks based on the fact that people are still watching. The first show I was ever on was on Full House 30 years ago, and I get residuals from that um, because all over the world people are are trying to figure out, you know, whether or not Danny Tanner is going to have a nice scene with, I don't know, I can't remember the characters' <laughs> names. You blocked so, it all out of your... <laughs> uh, it was 30 years ago, so... Yeah. Uh, um, but there's a lot of sacrifice, and there's a lot of discussion on the line. We've been now on strike for uh, one week as of, yeah, five days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and today. Check in two months from now, you know. We will still, we will, because the last strike was 100 days, and I saw no change in the resolve of the union. Mm. It was hard. It was unpleasant, but I saw no change. I don't expect any change. We'll just keep, we'll, we'll just stay on strike until we get a good deal. And it's that simple. And I think the other side knows it. They just want to, they couldn't do anything. They weren't willing to do anything. Unless they, if they don't go on strike, why do anything? Well, we're on strike now, so you got to do something. So. Yeah, yeah, they got to do something, or they just turn to reality TV, and that's all we get from here on out. Nothing like reality TV. You know, like somebody said reality TV gave us uh, The Apprentice, you know, and that turned, it made Donald Trump a star, and I guess 
I guess we all enjoyed how that worked out, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been wondering, with, with shows like The Bachelor being not scripted, but so story produced, like, why aren't those reality TV story producers in the guild? Like, they are they are crafting. Yeah, I don't know. They should be. They should be. Um, every, anytime you sit down at a laptop and start typing, that's 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 worthy of the guild. I mean, we will we have people from game shows. You know that, that that's that's real writing, and they don't get a lot of respect. That's that's real writing, and they probably work harder than I'll ever work, judging by the amount of material that they produce. Um, but it is a it is a craft that I think is respected, but also taken for granted. People just turn on TV, and I don't know because people have said to me many many times, Kelly, what percentage of what the actors say do they make up? Like most of it or all of it? And I have to say, well, no, like. Basically none of it. They don't make up any of it. And and uh, I've worked on shows with with Neil Patrick Harris and Ty Burrell, and they would make up. They're brilliant. They make up jokes sometimes, and we use them. But for the most part, it's ninety nine percent some some slob like me, you know, wrote it. And and um, it's a little undervalued sometimes. And the other thing is, they say, oh, "What are you going on strike for? You want a better Mercedes Benz?" You're like, "We're grossly overpaid." Again. There's no job security. There's none. So if you say I'm making too much money, well, my job could end tomorrow if the star goes into rehab or the studio burns down or the thing gets canceled. And that means the first seven years I was in the business, I was on three shows. The next three years I was in the business, I was on seven shows. So I was hustling. I was on a total of ten shows in ten years, hustling and hustling and hustling. And it was a lot easier to get a job back then. So if someone gets a job, a writing job, that pays decent money at this point in time, all hail and praise. Nobody should have a problem with that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not what, what's been happening is the studios have been reducing the rooms and reducing yeah. um, the amount of, right. Like the mini rooms is a big point of contention. Mini rooms, Yeah. Mini rooms is a big point because what happens is someone says, this is an idea for a network and they haven't green lit it yet. Okay. But if we get some people together, four or five people in a mini room, it's not on the studio's property. It's often somewhere at an Airbnb or some boardroom. We get four or five writers together for a, a month or two to talk about this show and hammer it out and maybe write an episode or two. And then two things can happen. One, it goes away, and you didn't even get a guild minimum. This was not a guild job. This was like, I don't know, we'll give you, we'll give you 300 bucks a week to show up. And then... The idea is that at the end of the mini room, if the show gets picked up, then you'd be on staff, right? Unless it gets picked up and they tell you to screw off. So you just did two months and made, you know, $1,500 and you didn't get the job or it doesn't get picked up. And they say, you know what? We loved you. And if it got picked up, you'd have a job, but it didn't. So go work at Burger King. And so that's a real, that's a new, relatively new thing, this mini room thing. Back in the day, a studio or a streamer would say, we're committed to this show. We're committed to six episodes, 13 episodes, 22 episodes, whatever. Hire staff. And the staff would come in and do pre-production. You're paid for eight weeks of pre-production. And there's no question that you're going to be on staff when you start shooting. And you do 40 weeks. You, do, you know, If you did 22 episodes in 40 weeks, you have a real job and a place to go with job security. Unless the show gets canceled. But in mini room, there's no security. And you're not even, you're not even making scale. So you're getting burned. Uh, every which way, and someone might say, well, then why do you do it? Like, if it's so bad, why does anybody do it? Because there's no jobs. There's no security. There's no, we have to, we have to formalize what, what, what we're worth because 
you know, if the diamond market flooded the world with diamonds, they wouldn't be worth very much, you know. And we, we, we're being – they want us to flood the market with people that are underpaid and overworked with no job security. And those are not things we – this is not the effect we seek, Kelly. <laughs> no, I mean it's just increasingly become a gig economy. And, you know, yeah. as a freelance writer myself, I, I, I can't imagine how wonderful it would be to have that stability and that security. And to, to be in a room creating together, like what a magical place to be. I know that – um, is it the status like it's harder to get into the WGA than it is to like get into Major League Baseball? Or if you look at the well, yeah, if you look at the number of people playing in the major leagues, the number of people with sitcom jobs, yeah, it's harder to get a get a sitcom gig, and and it's hard to get an agent. You know, well, uh, an agent is the person that submits your work. Do you need an agent? Well, you do need an agent because people won't read your work unless it's submitted by an agent. Well, how do you get an agent? Well, by getting a job. Well, how do you get a job? By getting an agent, you know, at, yeah. at which point even Sisyphus is, is bursting into tears because it's <laughs> it's the whole thing is very complicated and highly competitive. Yeah, and now it's just not even – I want to say lucrative because it was – it's never – writers weren't – well, with some exceptions, weren't making, you know, studio executive money, but they were making good quality yeah. lifestyles. Yeah. Uh, but now it's just people are struggling to patch things together, and there is no – you know, long-term career tra- trajectory the way they're used to no. when you enter the industry. I was very lucky back then. And your point about the being in a room is well made. Some people might say, look, I'm in a gig economy. She's in a gig economy. He's in a gig economy. Why can't you writers be in a gig economy? What's the big deal? You don't wind up with a show like Friends. You don't end up with a show like Frasier. You don't end up with a, with these with classic shows, unless it's people in a room day after day after day, getting to tell their stories and getting to know each other. If you, you know, if you just dropped into a room with a bunch of strangers, I I wouldn't even know how to write like that. And, and when I, when I think about um, a show like how I met your mother, where that was nine seasons to this day, people watch it around the clock. It was a, it's a, it's, I mean, it was a quality product. I I certainly Carter Bays and Craig Thomas created it. They're brilliant. I certainly, all I was was just a, an extended wretch, but it was a quality product generated in a civilized professional environment with a little bit of jobs security, you know. Um, I, I, I do, I have nothing but sympathy for young writers now. Now, some people would say, well, they don't know, they don't know the old way, so maybe they'll embrace the gig economy, but it just doesn't work that way, you know. Uh, Seinfeld ran for, I don't know, a year on NBC and nobody watched it. You know, and then it caught on. I mean, that that this is how this is how art works. Sometimes we we find it, we discover it, we we nurture it, we we adjust it, we calibrate it. And uh, if we treat it like we're working at, you know, McDonald's, just cranking out burgers, that's 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 how you get a a low quality product. With all due respect to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> and you've seen so many changes in the sitcom world over the past, you know, twenty, thirty years. I'm curious if you think there's going to be another shift after this, and if you want to talk a little bit about what it's been like maybe the past five years, um, post Me Too, post just this rapidly evolving world where there's cancel culture and representation discussions around every corner. Yeah, it's, it's, um, I think in hindsight, it's safe to say that the comedy business was unnecessarily just patriarchal it was white it was patriarchal and it was that way 
pretty much, you know, the same way planet Earth has been <laughs> since the beginning of time, which is most unfortunate and most unfair. The When I started on Full House, there were a couple of women in the room. I don't remember any people, anybody who wasn't white. And it, it leads to a very narrow perspective and, you know, my, sort of myopic tunnel perspective. And then, uh, it's interesting, my second job was on uh, Living Single, which is a black show. I guess they needed a, a rural Cana white guy's Canadian perspective. <laughs> but that was a, a real learning experience for me because I, I realized, oh, we're just making comedy and whatever your perspective is, whatever your life experience is, is great, but we're just making comedy. Flash forward to the last five years, I think it's safe to say it's been a good thing that more uh, diversity, uh, uh, people of color, all kinds of different, you know, gender identities, et cetera, et cetera. It means that what is on the screen is, is uh, more aptly representing what's going on in life. You know, if it was still a room full of old white guys, the, I saw a thing and, and Conan O'Brien is, is a supremely talented guy. His average viewer age was 57. Right. And so he was one of the hip late night guys, but his average viewer age is 57. That's a business model that will not stand. And if you ask my sons, you know, Trevor or Nick, when's the last time they turn on a TV to watch a network show? Those, those programs don't speak to them at all because they're, they're sort of antiquated, you know? Um, there's been a bit of an overcorrection, you know, I've had people, uh, I talked to one showrunner and I said, uh, I was recommending another writer and I said, uh, would you hire, you know, Jimmy such and such? And he said, unless Jimmy such and such is a black woman, we don't have, we, we there's no reason to have this conversation. And so quotas are being filled. It begs, it brings up another little question, Kelly. One of the demands from the Writers Guild in this work stoppage is minimum staffing requirements, a minimum number of people in a room. And some might say, oh, that sounds like bullshit. You know, like if you need five writers, but you're forced to have 10, what it does mean is you will have people in a writer's room who would otherwise not be in a writer's room learning and contributing. That's how you build, that's how you build diversity. That's how you get people who have been shut out into the rooms, you know? And because in the old days, if you had enough money for three old white guys, you'd get three old white guys and that'd be it. Now, if there are, if, if, if it's mandated eight or nine people, 10 people, you'll get more voices. And, and, and I look forward, I look forward to that. The one thing that overall is a little different is the learning process was pretty aggressive and obnoxious back in the day. You had to learn this shit or you get buried. You just get buried. Like the room goes so fast and if you pitch crap, you're fired. And it was very competitive and very aggressive. And now there's more room to learn in a room. Now there's a little bit, it's a little more um, compassion, a little bit, you know what I mean? A little mm -hmm. bit more, oh, you're a rookie writer. We're not going to bury you so quickly. And uh, which I think is good. I was lucky when I started, um, I was sort of noisy enough that I didn't get buried, I guess. <laughs> but I've seen young writers just get bulldozed by the old writers, and that's that's not cool. Put a, put a bunch of young writers in the corner of the room; they won't take this shit. And it's and it's 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 a it's a good thing, and it and it, it's good for me because I'm learning from them. You know, I understand there's something called the internet. You know, I mean, I I. I <laughs>
<laughs> I gather that all the cars aren't all gasoline, you know. And uh, so I learned from I learned from them, and it's a in the room that I'm in on Night Court. I bet you the the age range is from probably 26, 27 to 60. You know, I'm not going to mention who's 60, <laughs> but uh, I do know that part of my job is to frankly is to teach and to nurture and mm-hmm. and if someone's having a bad day go to their office and say this is not an easy job but you're doing great keep your your chin up and and uh um we treat our, our staffs our sitcom staffs as a family and we care about each other and 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 for us to to go on strike and blow it up is a big thing because it's not just our it's, it's not just our livelihoods it's, it's it's what we do you know mm-hmm. it's, it's our nobody nobody Nobody, it's a bit like acting. It's that old thing. If you can't, you absolutely can't do anything else except act, then act. But if you can do anything but act, do it. And it's much the same for writing. You don't go into writing because it's going to be easy and fun, you know. And and uh, I certainly, I went in, into it, obviously, you know, for the for the food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the food. <laughs> Crafty. It's, it's totally oh, worth it. I was that. 22 pounds when I started. Um, yeah, Kathy's very good. <laughs> oh, but I, I remember the, the, the first piece of advice you gave me many, many years ago was don't, don't do it. Don't go into the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Which was what people said to me. Yeah. People said that to me, don't do it. Go home, go back to, you know, I'm from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, go back. And I was offended. And I think I told you this, Kelly, I was offended because I thought, you don't think I have it? Like, what do you, what, why are you telling me that I, I moved all the way to, and what they, I think they were saying was it's 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 a job with it's a career with no job security and some very unpleasant just stuff that happens. There there are some most of the people I've worked with are great, but there's some un, unsavory characters out there. There's some there's some duplicitous folks in every business, but in show business certainly there there are people that are are not great. And if you're a good person and a decent person. And you can do anything else. Yeah, I would definitely, definitely avoid show business. <laughs> I have no other skills, Kelly. Yeah. If I could be a dentist, oh, if I could be a dentist, but no. Uh, no, no, no. Well, we're, we're glad you're a TV writer, Chuck. Oh, thanks. You know, I tried. <laughs> do you think it's um? Do you think it's going to be enough these these guild demands in terms of what we're seeing with just you know unfettered capitalism continu- continuing to roll on? Like these, because you know there was a successful strike when was it 15 years ago? But then it's like, oh, we're so far. Like things have shifted again. And is it is there's yeah. is this just is it just kicking the can down the road in a sense of like you know? I don't know if it's kicking the can down the road. It is it is adjusting to current phenomena. It is it is we will have another strike in 15 years because stuff will have changed. And when it changes, the studios, they don't say anything. They sort of look at you and they go, I hope no one notices it's changing because we can, you know, n- now we're uh, using, you know, some other thing other than streaming to to uh, send out uh, entertainment. And the writer's guild is going to catch up at some point. We caught up to, in the 50s and 60s and 70s, the fact that writers needed health care and went on strike and got health care. We caught up to the fact that our careers are so short that we need a pension. We want to strike. We got a pension. Now we're doing this. We need to get rid of the mini rooms. We need to get stick with some minimums. We need to. One one uh, writer stood up at the Writers Guild and said, "My writing 
budgets 10 years ago on a kind of an average sitcom was identical to my writing budget on Abbott Elementary right now. Abbott Elementary is an award-winning show. Now, is there any anything at your grocery store with an identical price to 10 years ago? I don't think so. So things like that, we as we slip behind, as we fall behind, we say to the, the, the companies, give us this, give us that, and they say, nope, nope, nope. We say, okay, we're going to get to a place we're going to strike. And then we strike, and we and we don't always get what we want, but um, we can't be silent. So I, I just look at it as part of the process. If I if I take my vitamins, I'll you know I'll be around for the next strike too. So uh, it's no fun, but you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, and and it leads the charge for the rest of the industry. It seems for the directors and the actors and the teams. It does. And, it does. Yeah. yeah. The the Screen Actors Guild, the Directors Guild. They, they take their cues from us. We're a very strong union. We're a very big union. And you just, you can tell from what I'm saying in this podcast, uh, writers are know-it-alls. <laughs> and they enjoy hearing their own voice. I mean, listen to me. I'm giving myself a headache. Um, but there's so many really, really astute, informed people in the Writers Guild. Certainly, I'm certainly not talking about myself, but our leadership is so aware of what's going on. They're the vanguard, to your point. They show the other industries what what is a reasonable request, what is a reasonable demand, and and the others will generally follow suit. It's an interesting union, though, because if you work in the, the auto workers union, the person beside you on the line at Chrysler, you're not really competing with. That's like your That's like your union friend the writers guild you're competing with your union members and somebody once said it's a very odd union that way it's one of the few unions where you're hotly competing with the writer on either side of you for for whatever jobs available but in times of labor strife we're just we're all in it together and then we, we go back to work and we get obnoxious and compete for the jobs again so. <laughs> but from this place i mean it's like david versus goliath a bit you know yeah yeah, it, it is David versus Goliath, and I don't think we want to overvalue what we do. We just we just write, we write. But that's I talked to a cardiologist once, um, and I said, you know, I I sometimes I think I wish what I did was as important as what you do because you save lives. And he said, do you know what I do at night? I go home and I hope there's something funny on TV because that gives me a reason to live. And I thought, okay, so that's what I do isn't quite as important, but it's sort of important. He said, oh, it's very important. So he may have just been lying to me to get me, you know, to end the conversation. Um, uh, But what we do is we're talking now about artificial uh, intelligence. And that's one thing that's not on my radar as far as, like, how valuable is it is for a human being to do it. It's one thing that's not on my radar, partly because I'm – a fossil, partly because I don't quite believe it. Hmm. I don't believe that the nuances of comedy can be generated by artificial in- uh, intelligence. And, I've, and, and I think I'll live to eat my words, but the nuances and the – when you're doing non sequiturs, when you're doing the kind of writing that's sort of stream of consciousness based on nothing and then takes a left turn into something else – Something like Arrested Development, you know, a show that I was on, uh, Mitch Hurwitz is a brilliant creator. I don't think they've got a computer that can do what Mitch Hurwitz, you know, what his mind does. Um, I agree. I, I, 
Uh, now, is there a computer that could do law and order? Could do something that is a procedural? And I say this with love and respect to my drama friends. I don't think so. But because it is, it tends to be slightly more formulaic, maybe that's the case. They might say, you want formulaic? formulaic? Have you seen a sitcom? Right? It's a, you know, opening, you know, cold open. Every scene has a headpiece, just a downbeat of something to do with something. Get into the A story, get into the B story, get the act break, do it again, do it again, and then do a, uh, a tag, and that's your episode. So when you, when you think of it like that, maybe there is a computer that could do it. But, uh, but would it be know, funny, you know? They could get the structure, sure. But... They get the structure, um, yeah, it just I, – I, I, the New York Times a few years ago said – can a computer write a joke? There was an article about it in the New York Times, and it said it had difficulty because jokes are illogical. They're they're a bit illogical, and it's a terrible it's a terrible old joke that, that that's been around forever. But it's got a, there's a joke. You know, I went to see my my doctor for my annual physical, and he, he said you have to stop masturbating. I said why? He said so I can examine you. You know, and I don't know if a computer can do that turn. You know, that turn into into uh, the, that, the unexpected punchline. Because a punchline is best when it comes out of nowhere. And, and it makes you go, oh, my gosh, I never would have thought of that, you know. And, and it's also character stuff. Like, what would a character say? So I guess you would load in all the characteristics of the, the characters into the computer and see what would naturally be generated. But I still, you know, two, one, I don't buy it. And two, I'd like to think that by the time they perfect it, I'll be dead. <laughs> well, you know, I've been I've been talking about this with some other people as well, and I I also I'm like, how can how could a computer get to that point? It just doesn't seem feasible. But then we're seeing all sorts of other um, leaps and bounds with technology that you go like, yeah. oh yeah, I'm probably gonna have to eat my words someday because right now what seems impossible is just around the corner. Right, and it begs the question, and it's a existential question: um, Do we want our lives? just done by computers do we want do we want our romance to be with a computer do we want our travel to be a computer rather than going to a baseball game should you put on a helmet and just experience it in your living room and so uh, uh you know i think uh uh it's it's difficult to go to europe to buy a plane ticket and go to rome and to a rome but i think that's better than putting on a helmet and experiencing rome in your den you know and i think that as human beings we understand that to a certain extent and Let's be careful with what we delegate to um, technology. Yeah. Let, let's be careful because technology has done so, obviously, so many wonderful, great things. But I don't know if it should necessarily be enlisted to do everything. I agree. And I think a lot of – there's just a lot of talk right now. People are really scared or freaked out in different ways about how AI is unfolding. And to me, it's kind of like, can't we just turn off our computer? Can we just turn off our phone, yeah. you know? Just, 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 and, and, and that's the, you know, if you're on the, uh, if you're on the subway in New York and everybody's on their phone, okay, there was a time when they'd be reading newspapers or magazines, right? Yeah. So a lot of them, that's what they're doing or other forms of entertainment, obviously, but you are, there are a lot of heads down in the world. And remember, you're talking to a guy who writes, you know, a screenwriter. I'm, I'm in the heads down business. I'm in the look at this screen business, but for the most part, it'd be nice to continue to sort of experience life and and not not rely on something like uh, artificial intelligence 
for a lot of reasons. One being, again, I'll go back to the um, the sorority and the fraternity of being writers, because that's what I do. My best friends are writers. My oldest friends are writers. My newest friends are writers. We learn from each other. We teach each other. I just don't know. I mean, if, if, if it could be done away with and it's all computer generated, we'd all find some other job. But I, I don't I don't think it would be a um, I don't think it'd be a better world for what it's worth. I agree. I think that, you know, there's so many ways AI can support us and help us and make our lives easier. That's all available. But the yeah. creativity and the nuance of being human, um, like we're not I don't think we're ever going to lose that whatever whatever comes with the computers, who knows, but, um, I'll, uh, ask you one more question and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. Cause I know, uh, oh, no, you celebrated I'm, I'm a, a birthday bit. yesterday. I celebrated a birthday yesterday and, uh, uh, I'm in New York city, my favorite place. And, uh, uh, what's the best way to describe my birthday? I, I probably put on between three and five pounds. So <laughs> You did That's it right then. Birthday. Correct. Yeah. Good, good birthday. Right. Cake yeah. and martini is the way to go. <laughs> oh, it's the. I wonder how many, like, how many pounds you work, you work off on the line. It's not a lot because you're <laughs> out there for three hours. You're not moving at a breakneck pace. There is pizza and donuts. You know, I, I uh, what I try to do is I try to walk to the picket. Ah. Like if, if two or three miles to the picket, I'll walk to the picket and then do it and then walk back. That's and, great. You know, That's something you can't do in LA. No, no. And and then, you know, stop for a pizza on the way back. <laughs> uh, I saw, uh, I read in the New York or the LA Times today that there's all these restaurants giving discounts to striking WGA members. and. Yeah, that's there's some of that here. Um, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. I think, there's no uh, profession in the world that eats like writers. I mean, it is really – it's just – because we – generally speaking, you – when you walk in the door in the morning, they kind of own you. They kind of, and it, you have really no uh, autonomy. If you walk in the door at 10 o'clock in the morning, they kind of own you till 10 o'clock at night, you know, or 8 o'clock or midnight or whenever you go home. They slide a menu in front of you for lunch. You circle something at 11 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, it shows up. They slide a menu in front of you at four thirty. You circle from the at six o'clock. It shows up, and you just you know they. It's like a nursing home. They turn me occasionally because of bed sores. <laughs> <laughs> and and then when you know uh, uh, when the meals aren't around, you go to the kitchen for snacks. And you know, it's just yeah. it's really because the other thing is it's a great way to clear the mind at the risk of rationalizing. You can't just sit in a goddamn chair all day. No. You know. You gotta you gotta mix it up. So if you eat, that's something that's a, it's a diversion. And when we go to the stage to shoot the show, uh, which is a great diversion. There's even more food on the stage. So, <laughs> oh god! It's like here's this bucket of candy. You're like, sure, why not? Oh, yeah. we got. I was looking for like a plastic fork the other day, and I discovered a drawer with nothing but chocolate bars in it. Oh no! And I was like, we got a. Did anybody know we got like a chocolate drawer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I thought that was that was pretty good. But we're on strike, Kelly. There's yeah. no chocolate drawer. Maybe they could pay you more if they cut down on the, the <laughs> Don't no no don't cut don't even put that out there. Don't <laughs> cut down on my snackies. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do they do they have good 
um, crafty with your Arctic base camp pals, or is that all online meetings? This That's uh, all online meetings. I have not met uh, Arctic base camp uh, founded by Gail Whiteman, who uh, a, a very learned professor uh, climate change and science, who I knew back in the day in Toronto, and, and um, she got into with Rain Wilson our friend from the office, who's a really a very deep, smart, active guy who wants to save planet Earth. No snacks. We have interesting board meetings. Uh, somebody's in uh, Romania, somebody's in Italy, somebody's in Australia, somebody's in Toronto, somebody's in L.A., and we just talk about just awareness of climate change. And, and um it's a great cause. These are really, really smart people. It is, it is uh, sort of speaking truth to power because these are scientists that, that in their agenda, if they have an agenda, is just to tell you the truth, just, to, just, just tell them the truth, just show them what the statistics um, generate and to come up with ways to find this, these, you know, the temperature changes, the, the water level changes and so forth and so on. And I certainly was not asked to be on the board because of my intellect. I've never been asked to do anything because of my intellect. <laughs> no, actually, I've been asked to leave a few classrooms because of my intellect. You don't have it. You're not very bright. Um, but uh, nobody, uh, if I have a specialty, it is in obviously in writing, and I was in advertising back in the day. So as far as marketing and messaging and, and things like that, um, it's it's a like like doing a documentary, it's a whole new thing for me, which I'm enjoying immensely. I love doing comedy. I've been doing it for 30 years. So something like this, where you do feel like you, you might make a difference. You know, you do feel like you might be helping planet Earth is, is, is a good thing. So, uh, uh, and the kids, you know, the kids are grown up now, my boys. So I have a little more time. I have a little bit more time. When I was on Arrested Development and the kids were seven and five and I worked seven days a week, I mean, 70 hour weeks that I, I was not, I was not uh, involved in very many charitable causes. Uh. <laughs> Mitch cracking down the whip on. Yeah. I would call the Red Cross occasionally just to have them carry them to me, to my car. That was the closest <laughs> I got to a charity, but, uh, different shows have different work conditions. Um, and you don't leave till it's done. So I know some young writers sort of go, oh, wow, why are we here at midnight on a Sunday? Well, that's how long it took to, to make it. Um, and, and Arrested was the show that I worked the longest and hardest on. It wouldn't have been quite as easy to do it if the show had been crappy. You know, like, if you do 70 hours on a show that nobody likes, that's one thing. But to make Arrested uh, um, was a, a great honor and a great thrill, so I didn't mind the hours. Yeah, you knew you were making something really special. I think so. I worked on the pilot with Mitch, and I he said, can you help me on the pilot? And I read it, and I said, can I help you? help you shop for a bigger house because this is the greatest thing I've ever read. And, uh, but I didn't want to go on the show. I did not want to go on the show because I knew Mitch would work me till breakfast and the kids were little. So season one and two of Arrested, I was not there. But by season three, he said, do you want to come aboard? And uh, so I said to Joanne, to my wife, uh, Mitch is wondering if I can, if it's time for me to go on uh, Arrested. And, I've, you know, I'll grow a beard and I'll get diabetes, but and she said, go ahead. So I grew a beard and got diabetes. <laughs> I'm kidding. I didn't grow a beard. But uh, that was basically just walk in on Monday morning. And, I mean, we I, we worked every day. 
So, I mean, you see people on Friday afternoon heading out. We knew we were doing 12 hours Saturday and 14 hours Sunday. We had to have a script by 9 a.m. Monday. You know? Wow. So. Was it like, did, would you land on one idea and then just keep working until it was perfect, or was it constantly changing throughout the week? Excellent question. Uh, lots of ideas, all kinds of lots of ideas. And Mitch is so creative. And he entertained so many different ideas, and he wanted so many different layers and levels of storytelling that something as simple as an A story, a B story, or an a C story together is nothing. That He can do that with one laptop tied behind his back. He wanted seven or eight things going. He wanted episode 302 to reference episode 208 and episode 304 to reference 106 and 109. And you'd say something like, well, okay, so like if she's wearing a beret, a beret is perfect. Because that's a callback to episode, you know, stuff that we would never, you know, he was so brilliant. And uh, um, I, I remember pitching jokes that I thought were so obscure and so weird that he very much enjoyed. And I said, like, seven people will get it. He said, that's perfect. You know, but we would wind up with a 72-page script by midnight on Sunday. It was always like 70, 72 pages. It had to be 33 pages by 9 a.m. So that's why you would cut big chunks out and then resort to Ron Howard as the narrator. If you watch the show, there are big chunks of it where, you, where you're, you're shooting over someone's shoulder and Ron Howard says, because we would have a whole scene about somebody going to France and we couldn't do it. So the, so he went to France and he got what he wanted and then he came back for France. And then, and that would be like, we'd save eight pages right there. And, uh, which is a very interesting way of storytelling, but I wouldn't have traded that for all the world. One of the writers, one morning, went out to get his newspaper, and he passed out. He woke up in intensive care, and I had a nosebleed that would not stop. I had a nosebleed one night that would not stop, and uh, just because everybody kind of got sick from uh, sleep deprivation. But uh, uh, when we got out of there, when we got out of there, we we had arrested and 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 stories to tell. You know, I can tell the young writers about almost dying so <laughs> that's good fun which sounds like it was a recurring theme in rooms in the 90s everyone was just <laughs> I, I you just go in and they owned you and and it's 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 a little frustrating it's like like because i would say to joanne she would say something like um is there a chance like we go on like a some kind of a vacation this summer i don't know i i don't know where i'll be i don't know i don't know what oh well, is there, like, next week, I don't know if they're, tonight, is there a chance that I don't even know tonight, you know, so she couldn't, you know, the significant others of writers can't even plan a meal, you know, you have no autonomy, they own you, yeah. and and it's a hard, hard thing, I've seen writers that just couldn't get their heads around it, around the idea that they their lives were subsumed by what they did for a living, but again, it's not a long career, if you shoot uh, uh, traditionally, there used to be a two-month hiatus where you could sort of recover and then go back to work. Uh, and of course, I think the, the, the hiatus is a thing of the past. Now you just get whatever whatever job you can get and hold on to it. But uh, uh, the studios and the networks still uh, they they don't care how long it takes, you know. And and as, if we all if half of us die in the room, you know, whatever they'll bring in new writers. But yeah, oh, transfer your salary to someone else. <laughs> This is the business we've chosen, yeah. as they say. Yeah. yeah. Lo wow. Lots of highs and lows and lots of excitement and lots oh. to fight for. Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't change any of it. I think when I was at the ad agency in Toronto and another agency in Chicago, I thought, I like to write. This is showing me I like to write. 
but it's got to be even crazier. It's got to be even less secure. You know, it's got to be, and it's got to be comedy. I, have to, I can't yeah. write anything but comedy. And if anybody's listening and they want to write, they should write and write and write and write. But, but I don't know, because I didn't, I never wanted to go into sitcoms. I never had any interest in Hollywood. You know, my brother, you know, Jamie, he suggested at some point, he was at an ad agency board out of his mind like I was. And he said, you know, we should write comedy. Maybe go to Hollywood. Sure. You know what, what, you know, and I'm glad that it, it, it sort of turned out to be something that I like to do. But more to the point, I was aware from the, the time I was at Wilford Laurie University that, that I that I like to write. And so if anybody's listening out there, it, it sounds like a rigorous thing to get into TV or into streaming. And it is or writing movies or plays or novels. But if you want to write, go ahead and write. If I have any advice, go ahead and write and just see what happens. You don't have to have that destination in your hand. You don't have to have it on the horizon. You just, if you just write, because I was writing ads for the brick, you know, and, you know, I was getting death threats. Those ads were obnoxious, you know, <laughs> but it helped me write. Uh, the best advice my dad ever gave me was learn how to write on a clock because he was a newspaper guy. And I said, what does that mean? He said, anybody can spend six years writing a novel. If you can write quickly, you can write anything. You can write it in a newspaper or a website or radio station or whatever. And I learned at the ad agency to write as fast as I possibly could. And I hopefully uh, with some, some level of quality and, and it served me well in Hollywood because it's, it's, it's go, 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 go. And then, you know, snack, 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 <laughs> snack, snack. <laughs> oh, uh, God. An aspirational worthy job. Indeed. It is. It is. Yeah. Although you have trouble, you will aspire occasionally because of the snacks, <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I would never discourage anyone from doing it. Although I, you know, I discouraged you from showbiz. Um, yeah, and that works so well. <laughs> well, if you got to do it, you got to do it. Yeah. You know, you got to do it, you got to do it. And, and, and if you got to do a, a long work stoppage, you got to do a long work stoppage. So, um, it's, you know, tonight I'll do some laundry. The, the, the strike t shirt they give you. Yeah, it's a lovely shirt, but you got to wash that. You don't want to. You don't want to be a stinker out on the old, the old picket yeah, one. Yeah. Have you been writing on your your sign? This little slogan. No. Um. Uh. The I've been given pre-written signs. I don't know if I mentioned to you, but the first one they gave me though, there was a there was a spelling error on it, and I didn't want to carry it because I didn't want to be in the New York Times, you know, dumb writer with misspelled signs. So yeah. I gave it back. Uh. Some of them are very pithy. I think I had one to, you know, somebody today, I just saw one. It just said, I'm upset, you know. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yeah, you're, you know, we're all upset. You're not paying me to be funny right now or like, you know, well, I'm just upset. Just That's yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, and uh, we have the chance, like, you know, New York is a union town. Get up, get down, you know. And we just go around in a circle and, and meet old friends and try and stay sane and, and wait for the day that everyone agrees it's time to go back to work and make the magic again. Yeah. So yeah. That's what we wait right for. Right on. If you had one piece of advice for younger WGA members who are nervous right now, what would you say? Oh, I would say it's very, very, very easy to say, hang in there. Just, just hang in there, you know, because if someone's got $29 – and it's very, very hard to hang in there. What I would su I would submit, if you can hang in there, boy, is it worth it. Boy, are you are you supported by all your other members. 
and the benefits of, of fighting the good fight are so great. When you think of the things we've gotten because of our work stoppage, it's hard now because it's the short-term thing. I can't get groceries, healthcare, pension, uh, 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 minimums on scripts. Yeah. You know, like if you write a half an hour script back in the day, I don't know, I'll give you seven. I'm like, no, now it's, I think, $28,312. They can't jerk you around. Residuals. I mean, the, the fact that they, you, you know, so I would say stay the course. Uh, if you got to get another job on the side, that's unfortunate. Go right ahead. Bless you. But um, believe it. It's always worked in the past. The strike action, which no one enjoys, has nevertheless always worked in the past. So hang in there. And if anybody needs money, uh, no, I, I can hand out some of my friends' phone numbers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where will they find you? Uh, picketing in New York. I'll be picketing in New York. Tall guy with the glasses. I'm, I'm hard to track down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with the sign that says, I'm upset. <laughs> I'm upset. That was really a funny one. <laughs> That's good. My favorite that I saw was, um, our, personal, our personal trauma is paid for your Teslas. <laughs> that's very good. Yeah. That's very good. Uh, I saw another one. I think it was, can art of, and getting back to the topic of snacks, can artificial intelligence put on 15 pounds in two months? Which <laughs> 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 I thought was pretty no, good. No, and it couldn't write that joke either. An AI wouldn't know write how to write joke. that joke. No, 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 no. no. Um, well, this has been delightful, Kelly. Thank you so much for, no, for taking the delightful. time. I, yeah. This is, you know, this is a lot of Tatham though for, yeah. for your listeners. There's a lot of Tatham. So we're going to have uh, to spread out the Tatham squared episodes yeah, on the podcast. Yeah. So we'll, we won't subject Not anyone all. to double Tatham. <laughs> um, take care, have fun, and we will talk very soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Happy birthday See you again. See you Thanks, later. Everybody. <laughs> bye. Bye.